0: Let's get started. Hopefully you're there, whether a digital version or paper of of your Bible in Acts chapter one, we're in a sermon series. This is week two. So we're just really getting started. We're talking about impact. This sermon series is going through Acts chapters one through eight. And what we're doing is we're stepping back in time and we're looking at this historical, real life movement of everyday people, just like you and I, that the Holy Spirit used to change lives, to change their community, and ultimately to change the world. And uh, the, the work that he did then is the same work he's doing and wants to do now. And so we're looking at specifically what kind of attributes is involved with being a person or a church of impact. Now, last week, just to do some review, our very first week together, we talked about how a person of impact has a clear sense of purpose, a clear sense of purpose. And in the passage we looked at, chapter one, verses one through eight, we saw that the purpose that God has for us is to glorify him as a witness. Now, today we're gonna look at our second attribute that I think you're gonna find very practical to your life here and now. And that is a person that God uses for impact is a person who has been prepared, preparation, is our second attribute in this series. Now, if you have a bulletin, and I hope you do on the back side for doing some fill in the blanks, here is your first fill in the blank and our big idea for this morning. It's this idea that God always loves you in the moment and prepares you for the future. He loves you in the moment. He loves you as you are, but he's always working in you so that he can work through you to prepare you for what he has for you. He will always get you ready for what's next in your life. You know what this means? This means that nothing that you go through, this means that no choice that you make whether good choice or bad, whether good experience or bad, none of that is insignificant because God uses all of it to help us grow to become more like him and to prepare us to be used by him. These are all things that he uses to prepare us. So this morning in our passage, we're going to look at three things, three things that the Lord used to prepare this first group of 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 Jesus followers that will become the church as we'll see next week. This first group, how did God prepare them? He did three things. And it's the same three things he's doing today. And the same three things he wants us to engage in as well. So let's go ahead and jump in and get started. We're gonna begin in verse nine this morning. Now, before I read verse nine, I need to give us some background here real quick. Remember, just context of time, Jesus has gone to the cross. He was resurrected three days later. Then over the period of 40 days, Jesus appeared in various times and places to people, sometimes to individuals, one time to a group of 500 or so. And he would, it wasn't like an apparition. This was like him. You could touch him. You could interact with him. The last time, the 40th day, if you will, the last time he interacted with them, he's back near Jerusalem, just outside on a location called the Mount of Olives. I'm going to show you a picture of it. The Mount of Olives is really, honestly, more of a hill. It is just slightly taller than Jerusalem. It's to the east of Jerusalem, and in between, there is a valley called the Kidron Valley. And, and there you see a, a photo, at least today, as it is today, from the Mount of Olives looking back at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now the setting that we're about to read, this scene in verse nine, takes place on the Mount of Olives. Now we know, though, from Luke chapter 24 that we learned there that they were on the backside of the Mount of Olives, which is more of a private place. So if you look to the right there, I tried to put an X. You'll see the mount there where the X is. There, that's the backside. They're closer to a town called Bethany, if you will. And this scene that we're about to see, this ascension scene that's amazing and, and remarkable, takes place in this location. So shared. Let's look at verse nine together. It says that after he, speaking of Jesus, said this, well, said what? Well, referring to verse eight, which we're not going to read, but he made this statement, this important statement about being witnesses in Judea, um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight And they were looking intently, that word intently, you can underline that word. That word is very strong in the Greek. It means to like lock in, focus, like you're not even blinking. You're just captivated, which I'm kind of like, no kidding. If you're watching this scene of Jesus ascending to heaven, you're not going to miss any of it. And that's what you get here from this word. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And when suddenly two men, these are angels dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Luke here, and I put it in yellow, emphasizes this word same. I wanna draw your attention to it as well because there's a promise attached here. That via the angels delivered this promise that highlights that Jesus one day, and we're anticipating this day, will come back in the same way he ascended. He will come back personally, visibly, into the Mount of Olives. This is where he returns to that same location, that same mount east of Jerusalem. So, two times he calls that out. Let's keep going in verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city, which if you were to walk it today, it's about two thirds of a mile. I've often wondered what this walk was like. You've got this group of of people who love Jesus, who've walked with him for years, and it's, it's truly over. In terms of his earthly ministry, he's ascended. They've seen this, and now they're returning to Jerusalem, which is what they were instructed to do in verses four and five. What was it like? Luke 24, again, verse 52 gives us a little insight where it makes a comment. It says, they returned with great joy, great joy as they walked back into the city. So this group, they've just seen Jesus ascend. They've been given um, a mission, a a mission to, to go out and to be a witness for him in Jerusalem, the city where they're walking into, and then to go beyond that. But then here's the thing about it though. Jesus also told them to wait, sit tight. Don't, don't do anything just yet. And I'll be very transparent with you. Waiting is not easy. It's not easy for me. If I was in this group, honestly, I would probably be like, let's go. Like, I would have been like, the Holy Spirit can catch up with us. Like, look, let's get out our first century whiteboard and we're, like, we're gonna like plan and strategize and we're gonna take the city for Christ because we're, we're excited about him, we're excited about the gospel and let's go see the Lord change lives. And that's what happens in my life and maybe in yours as well, where we charge ahead beyond what he's calling us to. Sometimes we miss our moments and seasons of preparation because we move right on through or the Lord's saying, "Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I want to get you ready for what I have for you." Again, a lot of times, or sometimes at least, being patient is hard. Maybe this morning you can relate. Maybe you're waiting for some direction from the Lord. Maybe this morning you're in a place where you're in a, a new, or you're waiting to begin a new season of life. You're um, you're excited to get married. You're excited for a change. You're excited for a move, a new job. And you're just, you're just sort of wondering, when's it going to happen? Or maybe you're in a season of suffering and the waiting you have is, when is this going to end? When is this going to be over, Lord? Either way, no matter where you find yourself this morning, the Lord in his love will put us into positions where we need to wait on him. We need to wait on him. Because here's the key in your next fill in the blank this morning. When the Lord is preparing you, that waiting time is not wasted time. But I know it feels like it. I know it feels like, Lord, the clock is ticking. Lord, why are we waiting so long? Like, what's going on here? And we want to, maybe like I feel often, we want to charge ahead. I want to remind us this morning his timing is perfect. And yet, it rarely ever matches yours or mine. But it is perfect because he's always working. He's always working. He's always working either to get you ready for what he has for you. That could include deepening your faith, helping you learn what surrender looks like, uh, helping you come to a place where you trust him more. Sometimes, though, the waiting is about circumstances. He's got to prepare circumstances so the situation's right. And sometimes we don't see that and we wonder, God, why are you waiting? I'm ready. But maybe the situation's not ready. Or maybe it has nothing to do with that, but it has to do with how God is working in the hearts and lives of somebody else who's going to play a key role in your life, ministry, or your future, but they're not quite ready yet. There can be times when you're wondering, Lord, when am I going to meet that right person? When, when, is, when is that uh, moving toward marriage or something you really aspire for in that way and you wonder, Lord, why the wait? Why so long? Well, maybe it has to do with God getting that other person ready. Either way, he's got the big picture and we don't. He's always working, always preparing to do, to do a work in our hearts and lives and to uh, bring, so that we can bring him glory. So I wanna encourage you this morning, if you're in a place of waiting in a weird way to say this, be encouraged, be encouraged. Because that just means there's space, there's margin for him to work and to prepare you. So this this first group of Christians, they they go and they're they're waiting. They're just there in Jerusalem. Well, what did they do as they waited? Well, waiting is the first thing that God does to prepare us. But there's two other things that he does as well. And I want to look at those next here in terms of this waiting time and what they did. Look with me at verse 13, if you would. So we continue to work through the passage. It says this, that when they arrived, they went upstairs to the upper room where they were staying. And those present were Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, son of James. This is also Thaddeus, by the way. They all joined together constantly in prayer. That word constantly means with persistence, praying over and over, in a sense, without ceasing. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, along with his brothers. What they did as they waited is they prayed. They prayed a lot. And here's your next fill in the blank this morning is that the Lord not only uses waiting, the Lord prepares us through prayer. And this is an incredible scene. They, they walk back, this two thirds of a mile from the Mount of Olives. They go to this upper room, possibly the same upper room where not long ago, they had had the last supper with Jesus. We don't know. And they're in this space and they're waiting and they decide this is a time and what we need to devote ourselves to is prayer. So you have men and women praying together. You have, as we just uh, read, you have Mary there. She's there as well in the room and praying, which by the way, this is the very last time we ever hear or see Mary in action, which interestingly enough, she was obviously instrumental in birthing Jesus. And now she's a part of helping to birth the church. She's right there among the many and she's praying with them. We also see called out her Jesus's brothers or literally his half brothers. They're there. We know from another passage their names were James, Jude, Joseph and Simon. So at least four brothers, half brothers that are that are in the room here. And remember, these were these were guys who did not believe Jesus was the son of God, was the king of kings and Lord of creation. But you can kind of get it because they're, they're siblings, right? They're family. I mean, what would it take for you to worship your brother as the son of God? And so, but they, they do come ultimately to this place though. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to them. And we know he appeared to James, for example, and you have this dramatic turn in trust. But before that, again, they just thought he was crazy. Absolutely crazy. But James and Jude, for example, they become pastors. They wrote books in the New Testament. But this is the group. They're together, and they prayed. They prayed a lot. And I want to encourage you to following their example. If you're in a season of waiting this morning, this is a time to pray. This is a time to seek God in prayer. And I want you to notice something else, too. Notice that they came together to pray— And as they prayed together, it helped them to come together. In other words, your next fill in the blank, this observation here that prayer is essential to build unity. This group, as they were praying together, they were coming together. And for us this morning, whether here on campus or online, whether we're talking about a marriage or we're talking about a small group or we're talking about a church, When we have these types of of groups that we love and care about, most of the time when things aren't going well, we don't have a unity problem. We have a praying problem that's showing itself as a unity problem. But these people, they came together and they sought the Lord. See, when we start praying and we stop trying to get our way, and what happens is together, we wanna start getting God's way. When we start praying, We stop trying to get God to do something for us and we start trying to seek God that he would do something in us and through us. And we start praying. We stop trying to move God and we seek and ask that God would move us. And when we start praying, we stop trying to change God because we want him to change us. This is what it looks like as we come before him And we say, God, I want to seek you. I want to become more like you. And this is the role that prayer plays in our lives. Again, if you're in a time of waiting, I want to encourage you to make prayer a priority. That's number two. Our last one, number three. Our last one is that as this group was waiting, they spent time in the Bible. This is the third thing they did. And here's your next fill in the blank. The Lord prepares us through his word. And maybe you're thinking already, you're like, like that's it? Prayer, the Bible? We talk about those things all the time. And the answer is, I know. They're the basics. But they're the things that, that whether, whatever season of life we're in that we need to devote ourselves to. Let's look at the passage here, verse 15. We're going to keep reading together. It says, that in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. This was a group numbering about 120. And he said to them, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide uh, for those who arrested Jesus. He was, uh, excuse, yeah, he was one of our number and shared in his ministry. Now, what's kind of happened here? Now, Luke is going to give some uh, background explanation to Theophilus. Remember, he's writing this book to an individual. He's going to share a little bit more about Judas. So you see a parenthesis there. He says, with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. Now, pause real quick. Technically, he didn't. Technically, the Jewish religious leaders bought a field with the money, the blood money that was given to Judas that he then returned when he felt guilty for what he had done in terms of addressing Jesus. So they, they go out, and in Judas' uh, Judas's name, they bought this field, and that's why it refers to it in that way. But it continues on. It says, there on this field, uh, he fell headlong. This is from hanging himself. And his body um, burst open and all of his intestines spilled out. And everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. And so they called the field in their language, Akadama, which uh, that is field of blood. Now, for our purposes this morning, I want us to notice something. Peter As they're spending time waiting, as they're in the upper room, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for God to say, go. What is Peter doing? What are they doing? Well, they're also in the word. Because what we just read here, there, Peter, he's reading from the Psalms. He's gonna read Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, which he quotes those Psalms in verse 20. I'm not gonna read that, but he quotes those, those Psalms there and he wants to obey what he's reading and Peter sees before him and them a decision that needs to be made. They need to replace Judas. Look with me now at verse 23 as we wrap up this passage this morning. It says, "So that, so they... By the way, three times it calls out they. Peter didn't just make this decision. They're gonna to work together as a community in this important decision. So they proposed two men. Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. So show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. I love this prayer, it's beautiful, it's simple. And then it says, then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now we don't know anything about Matthias other than this passage. Tradition said he went to Ethiopia as a missionary, but that's tradition. Nonetheless, as we see this passage here in our encouragement this morning, And that is that as we're in a time of waiting on God, this is a time to get into the word. This is a time to to spend great amount of time in scripture, prayer, scripture, making that our focus as we're waiting on him. Why, Why the Bible? Why do this? Your next fill in the blank just explains that or tries to. And it's this idea that we learn God's will from God's word. See, sometimes when we're waiting for direction, we're waiting for wisdom, we're waiting to know, Lord, what do you have for us next? This is a time to seek him in his word because as we spend time in his word, we learn more of what's on his heart and we learn more of what his will is for every single one of us. See, as they waited, they read scripture and then they tried to obey scripture. And so, again, if you're in that place this morning, here's my best advice. If you're just waiting on God, God, what do you have for me? That you sit tight in that waiting, that you pray, and that you simply, as you get in the word, do the thing he's asking you to do. In other words, make that your focus. And as you focus on following Jesus, Let him take care of in his timing and his way, revealing all that he has for you next. See, sometimes we we cause ourselves a lot of stress or anxiety of trying to manipulate God to, God, when, when are you gonna open this door? God, when are you gonna do this? When are you gonna do that? I think his answer to us often is, will you just trust me and will you just walk with me? And as you walk with me, I'm gonna show you. You know, as we go through Acts, I want to give you a little preview, but it's also true of the Gospels. Every time Jesus and the early church faced a place where they had a big decision to make, they prayed. Every time. That's a great example for us. And in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, and the church, as they were going about life and ministry, they always made obeying what the Bible taught a priority. Not just to know it, but to know it and to do it. That is why, and this should be our goal too, but that is why here at New Hope Church, one of our convictions is that we always open this and we read this and we learn from his word so that we learn his will, so that we obey what he's asking us to do. His words are inspired, meaning spoken by him, it's not just God's word, it's God's words to you. That he wants you to know, that he wants you to read and to hear and to obey. And, and not only is it inspired, but it's, it's inerrant, it's authoritative. We come underneath what the Bible teaches. And this, by the way, is why today the Bible is so opposed. What you and I are seeing in culture today is taking God's word and changing it to be human words about God. Because if you can do that, it's easily, you can easily edit it. Because if people wrote it, then other people can change it. But if they're God's words, it's a whole different, it's a whole different game. It's a whole different thing, which is what we learn here. See, godly people follow God's word. I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. Uh, And as they're doing that and getting getting ready, I wanna give you a tool. If If you're in a season of waiting or you're in a season of preparation, which I would argue all of us are, I wanna give you and I, what I hope is helpful, I wanna give us a waiting strategy. I think we need one. A waiting strategy, like how how do I do this? A way to to try to remember that it's memorable, I hope. And so here, here is your strategy. It's a simple statement. It's in your bulletin. Here's what it says. Lord, while I'm waiting on you to fill in the blank. What are you waiting on God for? What are you trusting God for? What do you hope he's preparing you for next. Lord, while I'm waiting on you to, whatever it is for you that that is, to say, I will rest. That doesn't necessarily mean a good nap, though I'm a big fan of those. That means, (sighs) he's got this. He's got this. I, I can trust him. I don't, I don't have to charge ahead. I don't have to short circuit what he has for me. I can just be. Knowing that I'm never gonna miss, as I do this, I'm never gonna miss what God has for me. I'm never gonna miss the, the calling that he has because he'll make it abundantly clear. So, so as I rest, and of course, as you can see there on the screen, rest is an acronym Rest meaning are. Rejoice in worship. Meaning, fix your eyes on Jesus and don't just fix your eyes on the thing. We all have a thing the thing we're waiting on, the thing we're worried about, the thing that plagues us. Get it off that. I'm going to worship. The E is I'm going to engage in prayer. The S is I'm going to spend time in scripture. And the T is. I'm gonna trust his timing. Some of us this morning, it's time to rest. It's time to rest in him. It's time to stop worrying in the wait. It's time to trust his goodness, his sovereignty. And please hear this this morning. He is a God who's not just distant and big, He's transcendent and close. And He is a God who guides. He wants to guide. He wants to speak into your life. He wants to lead you to all the things that He has for you. But you and I, in the journey, which includes the waiting, we need to rest in that. And we need to rest in the preparation that he has for you. Because some of us this morning, you're going through things that you don't even realize or I don't even realize how God's preparing you because you don't really know what's next. Of course, we don't know. That door he wants to open that you don't know is coming, but he does. So he's getting you ready. And I hope this morning, that's a tremendous encouragement for you. So here's what I wanna ask you to do this morning. I wanna give you a moment And this moment for you is a chance to just spend time with God and to pray. Or we're gonna sing a song and just stay seated. But you can turn this song into a prayer of declaration, of trusting God, of resting in the times of waiting. Enjoy your time with him as we worship.